Good morning. As Carla said, my name's Tim. I, uh, I get to serve here as teaching pastor and get to unpack scripture uh, with you all. And we are, uh, we're in a series right now we're calling Praxis. We're going through the book of Acts. We'll be doing it through uh, a lot of the summer. And Praxis, the word it's about, uh, is about taking ideas, concepts, and putting them into action. So Praxis is about action. It's about building things, about doing things. And, and the book of Acts is about taking the victory of Jesus, taking the teachings of Jesus, and incarnating it, putting flesh on it, living it out. What does it mean here and now? Um, that was for them uh, in the first century in the Greco-Roman world. And now we're asking, what does it mean for us? What does it mean to live this out here and now? And so that's where we're, the question we're bringing to the book of Acts. Today we're going to be picking up in Acts chapter 4. Uh, if you want to follow in your Bibles, Acts, it's way to the right in your Bible. It's after John. It's before Romans. And uh, we're picking up in the story shortly after where Christian uh, left off last week. Before we, before we look at that, while you turn there, uh, if you want... Um, so, I've, you know, I mentioned before, we, uh, we have several uh, daughters, Christy and I, three, three little girls in our family. And um, one of the things... If you've been around little kids, one of the things you know is oftentimes they like to climb things, anything, people, animals, um, stationary objects, and uh, our kids like to climb things, and often, like our one-year-old, will often find her uh, in the center of the dining room table, and uh, kind of like a centerpiece sitting there. Uh, maybe she might view herself that way, for all I know. Uh, but, uh, the, you know, climbing on stuff and, you know, furniture and on top of the back of couches and stuff, and early on... Early on, having children, Christy and I talked about what kind of, you know, one of the things we said is, you know, as parents, really, in a lot of ways, parents are kind of uh, form some of children's early impressions of what God's like. We're these kind of powerful beings in their life, and there's a lot of communicating the character of God that takes place in parenting, and we're talking about what kind of messages do we want to give our kids, what kind of grooves do we want to set down in the record player of their mind, and, and one of the things we talked about was we hope over the years they hear us say the phrase, be brave, more often than be careful. We said over the years, we hope they hear us say, be brave, more often than be careful. Because 10, 20, 30 years from now, uh, when, when uh, they face challenges in life, when life gets dangerous, when things are hard, when life feels dark, we hope that, that the echo of the voice in their head um, that the, the record player, that groove in their mind, that it comes back to be brave. Be brave. It was even interesting this week. I spent some time. Uh, if you want a, kind of an interesting study, look, look, go back in Scripture and look at the times and places God tells his people, be courageous, do not be afraid, versus the times and places that he says, be careful. And why he says what, when. It's, a, it's an interesting thing to look about. But this, is the, the, this morning I want to talk, we'll kind of explore this idea, this area of our life of fear, of courage, of risk. And I want to look at a story of Acts that I think touches on these areas. Fear, courage, and risk, and uh, the choices we make. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. And Acts 4 uh, is where we're going to pick up at. So Acts 4, just to kind of remind us where we're at in the, in the, the narrative of Acts... Uh, so Jesus, he's, uh, he's been resurrected, he's gone to the center of reality, heaven, and uh, the Jesus movement is just getting going. And two of Jesus' close friends, leaders in the early Jesus movement, Peter and John, they've just healed this man in the temple. There's this 40-year-old man um, who uh, 
they, he was a beggar, that he couldn't walk, and they healed him in the name of Jesus. And they've begun giving this speech. A crowd is drawn, and uh, they're just giving this speech about how they did this healing through the power of Jesus. And that's where we're going to pick up in the story. And so Acts 4, verse 1, this is what happens. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles, Peter and John, were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, why, why would they be so bothered they're proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead? I mean, isn't this just kind of an abstract theological idea? Why did this bother them so much? Part of the reason this bothered them so much, and, I, and uh, I wish we had more time to talk about this, but part of the reason is that uh, the Sadducees, the priests, and a lot of the Sadducees and the priests were the same people, those groups overlapped. They were the wealthy aristocracy of Jerusalem. These were elite religious leaders who were wealthy and powerful in first century Israel. They were benefiting greatly from the status quo of Roman occupation. Now, and it's interesting, when you look at resurrection, the idea of resurrection, the idea of resurrection inherently is about that, that God is not satisfied with the status quo. God is not satisfied as the world how it stands. There's going to be a great reversal, a judgment. And resurrection is, a, is about God who desires to change the way things are here and now. And so in the first century Israel, resurrection was a threat to the status quo. Talking about resurrection, people who talked about resurrection also tended to talk about revolution. Those things trafficked in the same circles. And so not only were the apostles talking about resurrection, but the resurrection in the name of Jesus. And Jesus was, of course, someone this power group considered a threat and recently had executed. So there's more to be said there. But this, this, this group, this powerful, wealthy aristocracy was threatened by this teaching. So this is what happens. Verse 3. They seized Peter and John. And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? So, I want to just take a minute and think about what would it have felt like to be Peter and John in that moment? What would they have been thinking in that moment? Here's Peter and John. They, uh, they've spent a night in prison. And now there's, it's like this hearing or this trial. And they're brought before the elders, the rulers, the chief priests. And I mean, just I mean, think about Peter and John. Peter and John, they were lower middle class, blue collar fishermen from the north. So you have this huge, I mean, they were uneducated. They, they'd grown up as fishermen. And here they're, they're surrounded by kind of the elite of the elite, the educated of the educated. They were lower middle class. Here you're surrounded by some of the most wealthy people in Jerusalem. They, they were from, oftentimes in scripture it talks about the Galileans, they talked with an accent. So even they don't even talk right. And they're, here they're, they're with the big city folks now. And there's this dynamic and they're being questioned, just the two of them against this whole crowd of people. What would they have been thinking? 
what they've been feeling. Not only that, think specifically about Peter and John. What other encounters would they have had with this group of people? With the elders, the temple guard, the high priestly family. What other encounters would they have had with this people? When was the last time Peter and John would have been around this group of people altogether? The trial of Jesus. Just months previously, the same group of people was gathered to hold a trial of their rabbi, of their master, where they condemned Jesus to death. I actually want to, I want to pause and look at what happened then and there at the trial of Jesus because I think that will help us get into the mind of what they might have been thinking at this point in Acts. So we're going to flip back now. We're going to flip back, if you want to, uh, uh, back to the left in your Bible to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, we're going to pick up in verse 52. So this is the last time that Peter and John would have been interacting with this group of people. And this is what happened. It's the last night that Jesus is alive, the night before he's executed. They've had this meal together, and at the meal, Jesus is speaking to Peter. And Jesus says to Peter, he says, Peter, before the night is over, you are going to deny you even know me three times. Peter says, Jesus, I will never deny that. I would die for you. And Jesus says, Peter, I'm sorry, but it's true. Three times you're going to deny you know me. But you you will come back and trust me again. So they have this interaction. And uh, then they they leave their dinner. They go to the Mount of Olives. Jesus is praying. And these people show up to arrest Jesus. And that's where we're going to listen to who shows up to arrest Jesus. Luke 22, 52. Uh, It says this. Then Jesus said... And notice who's there. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come from him. Some of the same group of people that we just read about in Acts. These are the people who arrested Jesus. And he says, am I leading a rebellion that you've come with swords and clubs? And then skipping down verse 54. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest which is that family we just talked about, Annas, Caiaphas, John, Alexander. So that same group of people took him to the house of the high priest, and Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. So Peter, Jesus is arrested. He's taken to this trial, this night trial, where people are trying to bring false charges against Jesus to contemn him to death. Peter's following along at a distance. He's out in the courtyard by this little fire. There's servants around. He's watching what's happening from a distance. And then what happens is some of the servants come up to Peter, and they say, don't I recognize you? Aren't you with Jesus? You talk funny like those Galileans do. And three times Peter says, I don't even know that guy. I've never heard of him before. The third time goes like this. This is the third time Jesus, uh, Peter denies knowing Jesus. It says, about an hour later, another asserted. This is verse 59. About an hour later, another, another asserted. Certainly this fellow, that is Peter, was with him. For he is a Galilean. He talks just like those other people. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. They're having this trial. Peter's out in the courtyard and in the house. There must have been kind of a gateway or a doorway. Peter's there being tried. We're surrounded by these elders, these chief priests. And uh, Peter says, I don't know him. And Jesus looks right at him. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. 
Peter doesn't even, even at that moment, he doesn't say, oh, I'm not telling the truth. I do know him. He just, he, he runs away and he weeps bitterly. That was the last time that Peter was around the priests and the elders and the teachers of the law. The last time the same group of people was gathered and Peter was with them. And it was, it was Peter's, this moment of cowardice, this, this great shameful moment in Peter's life, this moment of great fear of just being scared and denying Jesus. And this is the moment that it's coming full circle. Now in Acts, he's with those same people again. And you have to think, I mean, you have to think that Peter and John, they're thinking to themselves, these people condemned our rabbi Jesus to death. Why won't they just do the same to us? You would have to think that same fear is getting stirred up in their hearts again. When you look at the, the story of Peter, the life of Peter following to Jesus, uh, at the very least, you, you, some of the topics you have to wrestle with are fear and courage, risk, because those are things that he wrestled with. And I think for us to interact with the story, I think it raises the question for us to ask ourselves, where's, where's our fear? What is your fear? What are you scared of? Because as we watch Peter face his fear, I think it draws us into the question, what are we scared of? And I don't mean, I don't mean kind of haunted house scared. You know, I'm scared of spiders or snakes. Or I, uh, I knew uh, two most interesting. I knew somebody who was afraid of toilets, and I knew someone who was afraid of bananas. And I don't know what, that sometimes the fears people have. And I don't, maybe, maybe if you're afraid of bananas, I am. Sorry for you. They're very good. But, um, but I mean, no, I mean like deeper fears. I mean the, those deep-seated fears that we live with. What are, you, what are your deep fears? Fear that you're not going to have a job. Fear that you're going to have the same job five years from now. Fear that they're going to leave. Fear that they're, uh, fear that they're never going to leave. Fear, are you, are you afraid, are you afraid of, I don't know why I said that. <laughs> I'm doing my best up here. Fear, but fears, I mean, are you, I, I, you know, we have these deep fears, fears of, of people finding out what we struggle with. I mean, the thing that you struggle with, does anybody really know what's going on in your life? Or, uh, or fear that, that this person that you care about, that their life is going to head down the same trajectory it's on, and it's not going to change. But what, are you, what is your fear? We have these deep fears that drive us. And if we're going to look at the story of Peter, we have, to, we have to think about what are the things we're afraid of. So Peter is there. He's facing the same group of people that condemn Jesus. Uh, my guess is he's wrestling with those same fears he wrestled with the first time. And this is what he says. Acts uh, 4.8, picking back up with our story in Acts. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of Jesus, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, 
you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Apparently they had even brought the healed man in who was in the trial too. This man stands before you healed. Jesus, Peter goes on, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Peter says, it's the name of Jesus. He says the very name he denied knowing the first time he faced this situation. Jesus, that's the name. That's the name by which we healed this man. That's the name we proclaim, Jesus. And I just wonder, what would, have, what would have been going through Peter's mind when he said that name to this people? What would have been going... I wonder if he flashed back to that moment when he was in the courtyard. I wonder if Peter was remembering that moment when he denied even knowing Jesus. And he was thinking, not again. I'm not going to do that again. It's the name of Jesus that this man was healed. I wonder if Peter was even remembering back further. I wonder if his mind was even flashing back further. I wonder if his mind went back to the moment that Jesus called Peter to be his disciple, his follower. One of the very early interactions that Jesus and Peter had, when Jesus called Peter to be his follower, uh, Peter was up north in Galilee fishing. That was what he did uh, for a job. And, and Jesus was there. And uh, they had just recently met. And Jesus is along the shoreline in Galilee teaching people. A crowd of people had gathered. Peter had just finished a night fishing. And his boat was there. Peter was cleaning his nets. And Jesus went to Peter and said, Hey, can I use your boat and float it out a little bit so I could talk to this crowd of people? And Peter said, Okay. So they go out in the boat. And they're out in the little ways in the water. And Jesus finishes up teaching. And then Jesus turns to Peter and says, hey, let's let your nets back down in the water. And Peter's, I just finished cleaning these, Jesus. And he says, no, let's do, let's do it. And so they, they put the nets in the water and they catch this huge haul of fish, like this a miraculous haul of fish. And he's pulling the fish into the boat. And it says that Peter, he realized that this was, that, that this was no ordinary man. And Peter says, falls to his knees and says to Jesus, he says, Jesus, Leave me alone. I am a weak and sinful man. You don't want anything to do with me. He says, leave me alone. And Jesus looks at Peter. And he says, Peter, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm going to make you into a fisher of men. You are going to catch, you are going to rescue people for my kingdom. Don't be afraid, Peter. Don't be afraid of this journey I'm going to take you on. I'm going to rescue people through you. And I wonder, when Peter was standing there before the elders and the Sadducees and the chief priests, I wonder if all these memories of Jesus came back. The moment he denied Jesus, and even before that, the very moment that Jesus called Peter to be his follower, when Jesus looked Peter in the eye and said, Don't be afraid, follow me. And Peter stood and he said, I'll tell you the name by this man was healed. It's the name Jesus the Messiah. 
This is the, uh, this is the reaction that the people holding trial had. Verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. What ends up happening is that the, uh, the people holding trial, the chief priests and Sadducees, they were basically speechless. They didn't know what to do. They said the man they had healed, the man they healed was right here. They end up letting Peter and John go free. They say, stop talking about Jesus. They end up letting them go free. But the thing, I wanna, the thing I want us to think about a little bit is the question, what changed for Peter? What changed for Peter? Why was it when he was first faced with this situation, he denied knowing anything about Jesus? And then again, when it comes back around the second time, he stands up and he says, it is the name of Jesus, the Messiah, whom you crucified, but who God raised from the dead. That is the name by which this man was. What changed in Peter's life? What changed in his heart? That he was able to face this fear and act with courage. I mean, the, the first time, it's not like he got to, I mean, the first time he knew Jesus the first time. He already knew him. He knew him. He, uh, he knew that Jesus had incredible power. He knew those things about him. And yet he still, when he faced that situation the first time, he denied knowing Jesus. Maybe, maybe it was because he felt guilty about the first time. Is that, is that what it was? He felt guilty and he wanted to make it right? I mean, perhaps, but I don't, I've known a lot of people who felt guilty. And that didn't lead them to doing the right thing. Judas felt guilty and it led him to despair. I think there's, there's three things, at least three things that I see that changed Peter's fear into courage. Three things. First, I believe that Peter had a personal and profound experience of the forgiveness of Jesus that comes through the cross. That after Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus and Peter had this encounter where where Jesus forgave Peter and called him again to be his disciple. And I believe it's because of the forgiveness of Jesus. There's 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 a sense that we can only truly stand... When we know we're forgiven for falling. That if we, if we think it all depends on us, we're not going to be able to stand. But we can truly stand when we know we're forgiven for falling. I believe it's because he encountered the forgiveness of Jesus. I believe it's because he encountered the victory of the resurrection of Jesus. That Peter saw, and he says that, that God raised him from the dead. That Jesus faced the worst for us. He faced the worst for Peter. And because he faced the worst and had victory over it, we're able to face the worst. It's because Jesus faced death and and defeated it that we're able to face death. It's not that Peter sucked up the courage on his own, but he leaned on the one. He's like, he's already defeated death. He's gone through the worst for me. When I lean on him, I can go through the worst for him. I believe it's because he experienced the power of Jesus' victory over death. And finally, I believe it's because if you notice, when Peter starts giving his speech in verse 8, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the very Spirit of Jesus. It's not that Peter isn't just mustering up the courage on his own, but Jesus is the courageous one. Jesus is the great risk taker. 
And it's as he leans on the courageous one, as he trusts in the risk taker, that Peter finds the strength to be courageous himself. And so I don't think the message in this is that we try really hard to be courageous. I think the message in this is that we trust on the one who forgives us when we fall. We trust in the one who's gone through the worst for us. And we lean on the power, the spirit of the one who's been, who's risked it all in order to rescue us. And it's that where we're able to find courage. I want to ask a couple uh, reflection questions before we wrap up here. And uh, these are the two questions that I think this morning and um, later on this afternoon and this week that I'd encourage you just to, to consider and think about um, as, we're, as you're thinking about this topic of fear, and courage, and risk. The first question is this. What, what in your life are you willing to risk big for? What is it in your life that's important enough to you that you would risk big, you would risk big failure for that? What in your life are you willing to risk big for? And the second question is this. As you think about the season of life you're in, the next six months, what is a risk that you feel you want to take, that you feel led to take, that scares you? What is a risk in your life that you feel like you're supposed to take, but you're scared of it? So two questions I'd encourage you to reflect on um, this morning and into, into this next week. Maybe talk about with friends or housemates or family members. I want to just end with this picture. This is the picture that comes to mind. This idea that we, that we have these fears, um, that, we're, that Jesus invites us to be courageous, but we don't just do it in our own strength. We do it because we trust in the courageous one. Capital C, capital O. The picture that comes to mind is, um, the uh, you know the movie Aladdin? You, do you like Aladdin? I like Aladdin. When I had a, I had a sister who's ten years younger, and so like when when Aladdin came out, I was kind of too old for it, but she watched it all the time, which let me watch it all the time. But anyways, so uh, so the movie starts, and uh, uh, Jasmine, the princess, is wandering the streets, the marketplace of Agrabah, and runs into Aladdin, who lived there on the streets, and uh, they they end up getting chased by the temple guard, and they're running all through Agrabah. They end up in this this building, and they run to the top of the building, and uh, they're cornered up there. This temple guard is they're chasing them down, and um, and they they're 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 on this roof, and they're at the edge of the roof, and they don't know where to go. And, uh, and there's this great moment where Aladdin turns to Jasmine. They're, corn- they're like, where can they go? Aladdin turns to Jasmine and just looks at him and says, do you trust me? And he holds out his hand. He says, do you trust me? He doesn't say, this is my plan. He doesn't say, this is what we're going to do. He doesn't say, this is, what we're, this is how it's all going to work out. He just looks at her and he says, do you trust me? And he holds out his hand. She takes his hand and they jump and, you know, it all works out fine. But this image, this image of Jesus the courageous one, Jesus the risk taker, he doesn't say, go off and be brave on your own. He says, I am the one who's taken the great risk. I am the one who's shown courage in the darkest moment. 
And now I hold my hand to you and just ask, will you trust me? Will you be courageous with me? I believe the living Jesus invites us to that today. Let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit. Um, I give you, I give you the, the stories in this room. I give you the lives in this room. We, we open ourselves up to you. and um, We do face things that are genuinely fearful. We do face situations of real risk. We do face very difficult decisions. Jesus, I ask that by your Spirit, would you give us wisdom? Would you give us wisdom to know uh, what are the right risks to take and what are the wrong risks? And would you give us your Spirit to give us courage and power? When our moment comes to stand or to jump or to speak, that fear would not be the thing that guides our lives, directs our steps, guides our path. But Jesus, that confidence in your forgiving love, in your victory over death, and leaning into your spirit of courage, that that would be the thing that energizes, empowers, and directs us. I pray this in your name. Amen.